0: Well, welcome to Knowledge at Wharton. I'm Dr. Don Graham, and I am the Career Director for the MBA for Executives Program here in Philadelphia, as well as host of Career Talk on SiriusXM. And I'm honored to welcome Farai Chidea, an award-winning author, journalist, and professor to Knowledge at Wharton to discuss her new book, The Episodic Career. Welcome, Farai. Thank you so much, Don. So Happy New Year, and thank you for joining us at Knowledge at Wharton to talk about this book. Can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to write the episodic career?
1: Well, I've been a reporter for 25 years, and I've covered uh, race relations. I'm, I'm you know, also covering the 2016 election, which is my sixth presidential election cycle, believe wow. it or not. And so um, this topic came out of political reporting when I was doing covering the 2010 midterms. And I looked at, frankly, the economic desperation of people dealing with the Great Recession. And I just decided I had to write a book on jobs because it was so clear that there was a major disruption in the American labor economy and also in the spirit of Americans who felt that the promise of the American dream was being eroded. So I wanted to really find out what the facts were behind that and and set out to do that with both statistics and research and field reporting.
0: So one of the things you say in the book that really jumped out to me was the American dream has changed. And the book kicks off with this overview of the American job landscape as it is now. And you speak about our careers being ingrained in our identity in U.S. culture. And you do include some some pretty staggering research on how unhappy employees are in America right now.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of research, first of all, on what is, you know, a, essentially a broken employer-employee contract, where Um, people expected employers to take care of them in this somewhat paternalistic way, but still it was an expectation. But then there's research by people like Professor Carl Van Horn, who's at Rutgers University at um, a center for workforce development. And so he wrote a book basically saying most American workers want more than just a good day's pay for a good day's work. Rather, they expect. There's steadfast contributions to a company to be rewarded with a, quote, permanent job that enables them to retire with dignity. However, that said, you know, he also found that eight in ten were, you know, uh, like 85% of workers said they were loyal to their organization, but only 63% believed that the organization was loyal to them. So you have this increasing spiral of mistrust between workers and companies, and that also tracks with... Um, you know, a decade's worth of wage stagnation, um, the Great Recession, uh, you know, an incredible sense that perhaps the future will not be better than the past. So there are both psychological reasons and, you know, kind of empirically trackable economic reasons that American workers feel that the contract for work is broken.
0: Which which leads to this episodic career, and in the book you talk about three factors to have a successful episodic career. Can you tell us more about this?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that one of them that really is key to me is emotional resilience. The reality is that we're living in a time where there's more and more disruption in the workplace, and you absolutely have to roll with the punches. Um, another one is understanding the job market. So I talk in the book a lot about macroeconomics, globalization, um, you know, the, the actual hard numbers that show that the working class and middle class are not faring well right now in America. The middle class has shrunk to um, an, an all-time low in our modern history. And so the third part is also self-knowledge. Once you understand the job market, and once you have, you know, kind of girded yourself to roll with the punches, you have to also know what you want. I mean, you can roll with the punches all you want, like, you know, a, a bottle floating in the ocean, and that doesn't right. get you anywhere. You need to still have a direction and still set out towards something. And so those are really the three things you have to keep in mind.
0: And um, one of the things that you do in the book that I really like, and when you're, you're talking about this self-understanding, you you have a work-life matrix. Um, right. Can you tell us a little bit about what this is and um, how it contributes to really understanding yourself and, and what the right career path is?
1: Yeah. So I the, the second part of the book, there's four separate parts to the book, really deals with a self-evaluation tool. And there's Four different questions. One is, you know, are you a more cautious career builder or do you take significant risks? Um, The second one is, do you want to have a high social impact and change the world with your work or are you okay just working for money and changing the world in other ways like volunteering? Um, The third one is, are you happiest as an innovator or an executor? Um, Most people are both, but do you prefer one over the other? And then finally, are you mainly a solo decision maker? who wants to do things your own way, whether you're working with a team or not, um, or do you want to make your decisions as part of a team? So those those are different things. You can work in a team, but still call the shots, or you can be the one who's really brainstorming, like I think of the writer's rooms in Hollywood, where everyone comes in with an idea, but they grapple with it and fight over it, and eventually come up with a sitcom or a drama or whatever, and it's a very collaborative decision-making process.
0: So one of the most captivating parts of the book is the real-life career stories from the people that you interviewed. Um, and a lot of the themes have to do with what you talked about earlier, emotional resilience. Why did you decide to use this approach?
1: Oh, well, I mean, first of all, I'm a storyteller. I mean, that's really, um, when you talk about, I'm, so I'm someone, for example, who I'm very much dri- driven by doing um socially relevant work, and I'm also someone who likes being more of an innovator and a risk taker, which are all good things for a journalist. Um, But I'm also someone who, you know, in the self-evaluation tool, finally likes making decisions as part of a team. And even when I work alone, the process of interviewing people about very sensitive topics is always collaborative. It's about Mm -hmm. building trust so that you can have an honest interview, and and as you have read my book, I've talked to people who are, you know, range from a self-made billionaire who never went to college, turned down Harvard, and because he was already running a company in high school, and a woman who um, went through long periods of drug addiction and prostitution and became a skilled shipboard welder, and so I just love people and their stories, and and what I really say is that. Some of these people may seem more like you, but everyone has a lesson to tell you. Each person I interviewed, whether they come from a very high net worth life or a very troubled life or, like many of the people, are middle managers just dealing with, um, you know, everyday work problems. I mean, some of the middle managers, the wisdom is so clear and so great. Uh, One man I talked to said, if you're going to go for the brass ring, you know, like the top leadership positions, Have a discussion with your family and have a discussion with yourself and figure out what this means for your life. It's not just about the job. And I think that's also something I'm very focused on. Like, work is not just about the job. It's about our families, our personal well-being, our physical health, our mental health. Um, Work and employment gets into all these, you know, broader holistic questions.
0: One of the stories that really resonated with me was Elaine, who had 14 full-time jobs by the time she was 46. And I think I think this was one of the stories that really helped solidify the episodic career to me and really kind of clarity through action. So yeah. trying to figure out um, kind of going while you're doing it, you know, what is going to make you happy. And you talked about the new, new realities of the workplace and stressed that a key component to success is networking. So yes. tell us how does this make or break an episodic career?
1: Well, you know, I'm someone who has never has never applied for a job that I wasn't already networked into. You know, I mean, yes, I applied, but it was always someone saying, you should apply for this, or, um, you know, uh, someone connecting me. And, and that's one reason why I've been able to be a, a journalist for 25 years, because frankly, it's a terrible business. I'll <laughs> <to laughs> just say that, and I tell <laughs> everyone, it's a great business um calling and it's a terrible business and i have been able to survive because i keep networks alive and and you know for example uh over new year's i ran into someone who i may end up doing business with who i hadn't seen in seven years but because of the depth of the connection we would made she immediately said let's talk you know i've got this opportunity and there's a real case to be made first of all for understanding that life is not linear, it's circular. You will re-encounter people over and over again, and your past behavior will shape your future opportunities. But on top of that, there's also something extremely important that's been documented about the weaker ties and links in your network being the most important in a job search. Mm -hmm. You know, the people who love you are already going to tell you everything they know about the next opportunity that you need to have. But there are people on the fringes of your circle who live in completely different worlds, and those are the people you really need to talk to because they're going to say, "Well, I know that you've been in coding for a long time, but there's this new opportunity in bioengineering that could use some of your coding skills, or you've been in marketing a long time, and I know this person who's starting, you know, uh, an, an, a bra company, and, <laughs> and they need someone to." work on the launch of that. I mean, you just, like, it's, it's the people who are really, you know, and research shows this very clearly, the people who are kind of on the fringes of your network are the ones who really open your mind to new ways you can use your skills. Because one of the key parts of the episodic career is that you can have, everyone needs to, like, make a list. You know, this is a little bit of my homework. Make a list of all the skills you have. You'd be astounded. I mean, include everything, things mm-hmm. that you don't use, do for work, like, I'm a great cook, personally. I I say that, and my friends tell me that's true. So you put down all these things. Which ones of them would you be willing to do for money? Not everything you do, it can do well, you want to do for money. Sometimes you just want to cook or you just want to sing, and you're not trying to do it for money. But of the skills that you list that you would do for money, think of all the ways those skills could be used. You're not just the job you have now or the job you had five years ago. You're a compilation of skills and assets, which can be used in many contexts. And so when I teach my students at New York University, I teach journalism in a very multimedia style, where by the end of a class, I take you know, undergraduates who've never done any digital editing, and they know um, audio editing, some video editing, photo slideshow, um, mobile recording. um, And I say, you know, you can go into business with these skills. You can go into public policy with these skills. Um, Undergrads are not known for being 100% accurate about what the rest of their life will be like. Right, yes. But, you know, but I want them to walk away with some tangible skills as well as with a more um, macro understanding of the world of journalism. And I think increasingly, um, all Americans who are in the workforce or entering the workforce have to really say, take a skills inventory and say what is it that I do and how might these skills be repurposed. Some people, like Elaine Chen, who you mentioned, do that naturally. You know, she was um, she went to law school sort of grudgingly because her parents wanted her to, and then got laid off within eight months during an economic downturn. Was very bitter about it, but then you know she her real passion was writing, so. She went into reporting on the semiconductor and mobile technology industries and then leveraged that into doing sort of the tech side of digital marketing for companies. And so she's had to reboot several times, but every step in her career built on a skill set she had. And she went in some you know, unusual directions that she couldn't have predicted herself, but it was all based on her having a really good skills inventory of what she could
0: bring to the table. Yeah, and I, I want to pull out two things just based on what you were just speaking about that are so critical. Um, and I think the episodic career really digs into these, which is one doing an analysis, doing an evaluation of your skills not just once in, in school but throughout your life and as you gain more skills. And then, you know, you, you touched on the Granovetter uh, strength of weak ties research that is out there that has been pretty consistent for decades and. How critical, regardless of your skill set, networking is to your career. And you interviewed hundreds of working professionals across the U.S. So I'm I'm kind of curious what differences you found in in culture, gender, maybe age when you when you um, did these interviews.
1: Well, you know, there there's definitely. First of all, I think that um, everything I say next comes with a grain of salt that. People are unpredictable. You know, all of us know who have relationships, and that's everyone. I don't just mean romantic relationships. If you have a relationship with anyone besides yourself, a coworker, a child, a friend, you know, people can be unpredictable. That said, you know, going back to the work-life matrix, there are the vast majority of people are more cautious career builders. The people who are risk takers um, tend to be more entrepreneurial and also tend to earn more. But you can't say, I'm going to take risks if you're a cautious person. I mean, one of the things I really strongly advise against is trying to, you know, change who you are. It's more about understanding who you are. But there are people like, um, you know, in the kind of entrepreneurial risk-taker category, there are people who range from uh, Justin Dangle, who started three very successful companies um, before he was 40, um, one of whom is a, an insurance company. Uh, company, Goji, which is now at the level of Geico and and has a market capitalization in the hundreds of millions of dollars, and um, another one is Baratunde Thurston, who's a writer for The Daily Show and has gone through many, he's also an entrepreneur and runs his own company, and he's gone through many iterations of starting projects, losing money, regaining, and, and you have to have an appetite for that kind of risk. So. I would say that one of the you know the cautious people versus the risk takers is is a big thing that I saw. but then also more along class lines, you see people who are making you know who may not be the most um, high ranking staffers, but who are making incredible contributions in holding together uh, workplaces and communities. and these range from a man in New Orleans who's a former drug dealer who now works with uh, low-income construction workers. And it goes all the way to people like Elaine, who we mentioned before, who simply one of the things she does at every company she works at, even though she's moved around a lot, is she creates a great office culture. She celebrates people. She hosts the parties. She makes sure that there's a collegial environment, which is a skill in and of itself. You know, It's really something that should not be underestimated because stress on the job can literally take years off your life. Mm-hmm. And so the person who can create a collegial environment where you feel welcome and appreciated is a very valuable employee. And in fact, $300 billion a year are lost because of people being checked out at work.
0: I've read that. Um, That's incredible.
1: It's, it's, it's stunning, isn't it? You know, um, but, you know, so, so there are many different things that I saw in people, but really... I think that in the end, what I saw was adaptability and resilience. So many different people, including a woman who became homeless after she went to take care of her dying father and couldn't find a job again. People just learning, growing, and adapting is what I saw the most of.
0: So, Fry, what is it that you hope readers will take away from the episodic career?
1: I mean on an emotional level I hope people will take away a sense of hope and agency. You know there's a lot of a lot of people are despairing about the future of America in different ways or about their ability to earn a good steady living. Um some people are doing fantastically of course. I mean it's a time of mixed opportunity but there's been again a lot of wage stagnation, you know most people aren't earning very much more than they did 10 years ago in inflation-adjusted dollars. And so they're asking, well, is this going to be forever? Is, is this going to be the rest of my life? Or are things going to get worse? I want people to know that they have a lot of control over their outcomes. You know, within, within limitations, all of us have different limitations, and no one's life is perfect, not even certainly wealthy people. But within those limitations, you have a lot of options. And a lot of it has to do with being... You know, again, self-aware, aware of the job market, and resilient. If you can keep those three things in mind, then you'll do fine. But that also requires doing a lot more homework than workers used to have to do in the past. Like, you have to become a researcher about your industry. If your industry is starting to go downhill, you should know it. You can't just be like, I'm doing a good job. Well, if you're doing a good job on the Titanic, you're still thinking. <laughs>
0: Well, Farai, congratulations on the new book, and thank you for joining us today on Knowledge at Wharton. We really appreciate it, and we wish you all the best.
1: Thank you so much. For more
0: business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.